Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was growing up at our home, there was a prayer that was very often a part of our family routine uh, right before we would share a meal together. Uh, The table prayer went like this. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. Anybody know that prayer? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty common, especially in Lutheran circles. Now, there are some variations, right? And let thy gifts to us be blessed. Or some got fancy and said, these thy gifts to us be blessed. But it always began the same way, right? Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Imagine for a moment that that literally happened. I want to ask you to do something with me for just a moment. In, in your mind's eye, I want you to picture the house in which you live right now. All right, you got the picture in your head. You're walking up to the front door of your house, right? You can see their front door. You're opening your front door and you're walking into that first room, whatever it is, living room, some, some special room where guests would first enter into, right? You go further into your house and maybe you have a living room or a family room. Maybe you have a dining room. And, uh, and picture your kitchen, right? Okay, can you see all of that? Now, I want you to picture Jesus showing up at the door of your house, knocking on the door, you opening the door, and welcoming him in. And behind him comes 12 other guys. Yeah, 13 men show up your house at your house for dinner, Right? Okay, so where are you going to take your guests? Where are you going to invite Jesus to be seated? Where are you going to have the other disciples uh, sit down? What are you going to serve them as an appetizer? What will you offer them to drink? Would it be a little intimidating to have 13 people arrive at your house somewhat unexpectedly for dinner? That's a little of what happened, kind of what happened in the story from our gospel lesson today. Jesus and his 12 disciples show up unannounced at the home, granted, of some friends of his, okay, but show up for dinner. It's the house of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And evidently Lazarus isn't there that particular day. Martha welcomes him into her home, we're told, and the story goes from there. They live in a little village called Bethany, which is a couple miles east of Jerusalem. And Jesus shows up there. Evidently, he had been there before. They were good friends. And he felt comfortable just showing up for dinner. But then we read what took place after that. It says, Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. We're going to pause right there in that point of the story. Can you see it? Martha was a little upset. Maybe all of us would be a little bit like Martha if this happened to us, right? Uh, there's a lot to do, and, and the sibling is just sitting there talking to him, and we're trying to get all the stuff done, right? A little bit of sibling rivalry erupts, evidently, between 
Martha and Mary in this particular incident. Martha was obviously uh, not very happy with her sister Mary. And then, not only is she perturbed at Mary, she even gets a little critical of Jesus. Don't you care that my sister isn't helping me, she says. And then she even uh, makes some demands of him. Boy, she's pretty bold. Tell Mary to help me. Aye, aye, sir, right? Wow, that's pretty bold. Jesus doesn't really knock her down for any of that, but he does have something important to say to her. And I think the words of Jesus' response to Martha have some important insights for us in our daily living. Listen to what Jesus said again. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Only one thing is needed, Jesus said. That kind of reminds me of a scene from a movie. Maybe you saw the classic Billy Crystal movie, City Slickers. Remember that one? It featured three longtime friends who were facing middle age, and in their middle age crisis, they find themselves losing their focus and in danger of losing their families. And so to reignite the fire in their lives, the guys sign up as cowboys helping a dude ranch move its herd of cattle from up in the hills down to a lower valley. Well, there's another character in the movie by the name of Curly, played by Jack Palance. Curly is this grizzled old cowboy who who leads them, and they see him as kind of the toughest, canniest, wisest person they've ever met. And so Billy Crystal's character, Mitch, asks the usually tight-lipped cowpoke what his secret is. What makes life so strong and centered and sure? And Curly smiles like you see on the screens there. He raises his grubby index finger with a glove on it and he proclaims these words. It is just one thing. And then he rides away. And Billy's character spends the rest of the movie frantically trying to figure out what Curly meant by it's just one thing. What is that just one thing? Well, I'm not going to tell you, by the way. You have to watch the movie on your own. It's probably available on Netflix or you can rent it from Redbox or something, but But more important than that movie is what Jesus said to Martha in our gospel lesson. Only one thing is needed. And so my question is, what is the one thing needed most in our homes? The one thing needed most in our homes. Jesus praises Mary for choosing the right thing. He says Mary has chosen what is better. And what did she choose to do? To listen to Jesus and what he had to say. Spending time listening to Jesus. It's more important than everything else. There's kind of an interesting contrast in this story between these two sisters, Martha and Mary. It's really a contrast between worldly distraction on the one side and divine attraction on the other. 
worldly distraction, and divine attraction. We have to ask, which is more important in our daily living? What is the one thing needful? Now, granted, I I think we all wrestle with this. None of us does this perfectly, do we? We all wrestle with this issue of the calling to spend more time quietly in God's Word, listening to what God and Jesus, our Savior, have to say to us personally. So as we look at this story today, I propose three takeaways from this story, three insights to take home with us. Here's the first one. In your daily living, beware of the distractions. And there's all kinds of distractions that will tend to steal you away from that which is most important. Distractions that will chew up your time and energy and rob you of every opportunity to be quietly sitting and listening to Jesus. Those distractions can come in a variety of forms. Many of them seem rather innocent at first. Some of them are downright pernicious. Jesus told a parable in which he kind of comments about the danger of distractions. It's his famous parable of the sower, you know, where a farmer casts his seed out and it falls on four different kinds of soil and Jesus talks about all four of them and then he gives an explanation and partway through his explanation he comments about one of those types of soil. Listen to what he says. He said, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Of course, he's talking about people, isn't he? About distractions that come into our lives and that choke off our opportunity to really benefit from the word of our Lord that he has to give us. You know, it's kind of ironic, I think, that even the busyness of Christmas, the holiest, one of the holiest seasons of the year, the busyness of Christmas can become a distraction away from the Christ child himself. And it's all very well-meaning, isn't it? We intend to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we can get so easily caught up in the distractions of the, the outward external busyness of Christmas, we might miss the reason for the season, that it's really all about Christ. It's about that baby born in Bethlehem coming to the world to be our Savior. And so takeaway number one is beware of distractions. Number two, don't miss the main attraction. Our focus should be the main attraction. Don't miss it. I mean, imagine one day you decide you're going to go to the theater to see a movie. All right, I'm staying with the movie theme here. You go to the theater. You have a movie in mind you want to see. You walk up to the ticket window. You pay your money. You get your ticket. That admits you into the building, right? You hand your ticket, and you are directed to the specific auditorium where your film is being shown. You go to that auditorium. You find your seat. You're in your seat and the previews of other movies start playing. A couple of those go by and you decide you want some refreshments. So you go out back out to the lobby and you get in line and you're getting your refreshments. After you get your refreshments, you see some other friends of yours that are there who just got out of a movie. And you start talking with them and they tell you all about the movie that they saw and what a great movie it was and, and you're having this great conversation 
Time goes by, and, and then you notice that just outside the doors of the theater, there's some kind of special activity going on on the patio, so you, you all decide to go out and see what that's all about, and while you're out there, you're talking further, you meet some more friends, you have a great conversation. A couple hours go by, and you missed your movie. You missed the main attraction. You missed the whole reason that you went to the theater in the first place. doesn't make any sense. It can happen with us too. And we need to make sure that we don't miss the main attraction of Christmas or of any time of the year. The main attraction, friends, is Jesus himself and his word to us. St. Paul understood the importance of keeping the main thing the main thing. The importance of spending time in God's Word and letting His Word sort of take up residence inside our heart and soul. This is what Paul said to the Colossians. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Are you letting the Word of Christ take up residence inside your heart and your home? You know, it's always been a part of the way God relates to his people. Going all the way back to the Old Testament days, God wanted his people to be in the word. Moses, who led the people of Israel uh, toward the promised land, took them to the east side of the Jordan River, They were going to cross that river into the promised land. Moses wasn't going to be allowed to cross the river. But before they cross, Moses has his final lecture, if you will, to the people. It's recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. And his final words are so important. And part of his final words to the people before they go into the promised land was this. He said, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. I think what comes out in that part of the text is that the home is intended by God to be the primary venue for Christian education to take place. If you are a parent of young children, I want to encourage you and exhort you to take that seriously. You know, when I work with young uh, couples who are planning to have their child baptized, I always talk with them not only about the meaning of baptism, but the second part of what Jesus said in connection with baptism. He said, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then he said what? Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. It's so important that parents see to it that their children are not just baptized, but that they're baptized and then brought up in that Christian faith, that they're taught that faith by their parents. It all begins in the home. Let me ask you, how much do you read and discuss Bible passages in your home with your family? Even if you're beyond the child-rearing years, maybe it's just you and your spouse, how much time do you spend reading and discussing a Bible passage in your home together 
That's the place where it's intended to be carried out most. I like the way the prophet Jeremiah from the Old Testament had his attitude about the Word of God. In a prayer to God, this is what he said in Jeremiah 15. He says, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. He uses an analogy of food. He describes God's word as being like good food for the soul that I want to eat, that I want to consume, that I delight in, the the best of fare. And he desires to partake of it regularly. Likewise, too, friends, you and I need to partake of God's word regularly. It's food for the soul. You know, the Bible... God's Word is, of course, a twofold message to us, and we need both parts of the message. First of all, it's a message of law. It lays out God's expectations of how we are to live, and, and being of the law, it's like a mirror. When we look at the law, we compare ourselves against it, it shows us our failings. It shows us our sins. It's supposed to do that for the purpose of bringing us to repentance so that we might experience God's forgiveness and grace. We need the law. The law also operates as a guide for how we are to live our life. Now that we know we're forgiven in Christ Jesus, we say, how should I live my life? We go back to the law of God and we use it as a guidebook of how to live. But most importantly is part two of God's message to us. It's the good news message. The message about God's eternal plan to solve the problem that all people deal with. The problem of sin that has us on the way to hell unless God himself intervenes. The good news message is that God sent his son into the world, yes, born a little baby in a manger, laid in a manger in Bethlehem. A baby who would grow up to be the man, the God-man, who would give his life on the cross as payment for all of our wrongs, all of our sins. Jesus gave his life on that cross, taking the full punishment we deserve. And he says, believe I did this for you, and you are forgiven and free, and eternal life is yours as a gift. That's the good news. And friends, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that message every day. I need to be reminded of that message every day. Why? I'll admit, my name is Alan, I'm a sinner, and I sin every day, and so do you. We daily need the gospel. We daily need exposure to God's word. We daily need the soul feeding of God's delightful word. Jesus said in John 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. There's a good news passage that we need to hear and similar passages like it that remind us that we are not only forgiven through Jesus, but that we already have eternal life now. This soul alive inside of us is never going to die. We'll continue on forever living in heaven. Oh yeah, our body will go through this thing we call death. But even that will be raised back to life on the last day, rejoined with our souls, and we will live in heaven, body and soul forever. What better news is there than that? And we need that good news every day. You see, in the scriptures, we see what matters most in life. We see what's number one. 
Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew 6, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Aren't those the questions so many people ask and fret about today, especially during Christmas season? Jesus goes on to say, For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows you need food and clothing and so on. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What matters most is the kingdom of God and the word of God. Now, you know, back to Martha. I have to say, I I truly believe that Martha began with good intentions. Just as you would begin with good intentions if Jesus showed up at your house. You'd welcome him in and you'd want to serve him. Of course you would. We all would want to do that. And I think that's what she wanted to do initially. She wanted to serve Jesus. And that service was indeed valuable. But it's that service is not what was most important. Jesus himself is most important. And so that brings us to the third takeaway. The third takeaway is this. You can't really serve the Lord unless He first serves you. Let me say that again. You can't really serve the Lord unless He first serves you. Jesus wants to serve you in His Word, in the sacraments, in His grace coming and feeding you and nurturing you and strengthening you to be able to go out there and serve Him and others. In John 15, Jesus said, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, yes, Jesus wants us to serve him and he wants us to serve other people in love as well. But first, before we do that, we need to be served by him. We need to be served His Word. We need to be served His sacraments to strengthen our soul so we can then do what He calls us to do. Fed and nourished, we are then able to bear fruit. You know, if we, if we want to bear much fruit for Jesus, we, like the branches of a grapevine, need to stay connected to the vine. He's the vine. We're merely the branches. Fruit is produced as we stay connected to Him. And friends, it means that we, like Mary, need to take time to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what He has to say to us. So let me ask you this rather pointed question. Don't answer it out loud, just answer for yourself. How often do you sit at Jesus' feet in your home? I want to encourage all of us, because we can all be growing and improving in this. I want to encourage all of us to be intentional about setting time aside to, quote, sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Him. And, and there are some resources to help you do this. You don't have to feel like you're out there, Lone Ranger, all by yourself. For example, one very simple way to begin, if this isn't a habit of yours already, is to use the Portals of Prayer daily devotional booklet that we provide. It comes out every three months. This is the one for January, February, and March. You can pick it up as you leave today. It has a nice little daily devotion with a Bible passage, a short devotional, and a prayer at the end. 
with other kinds of prayers for various circumstances in the back. A very handy little devotional tool to get you started. But I will say that uh, we pastors are also wanting to challenge our members for the year 2017 to go even deeper in your study of God's Word. We want to challenge all of our members to read through the entire Bible over the course of this next year. And we want to help you to do that. We're providing a resource. or making this available. First of all, it's called the Life Journal. Uh, the Life Journal has two different reading plans laid out for it, what to read each day. Uh, the classic reading plan takes you through the entire Bible, every chapter of every book of the entire Bible in a year. The express plan takes you through the major Bible stories and key passages in each book in the course of a year. And to help you kind of process this a little bit, uh, we're also going to make available on Saturday mornings an opportunity for whoever wants to come together to talk about what you read the previous week. Maybe you have questions. You were reading in Genesis chapter 4 and you wondered what this part of it meant. Pastor John is going to meet every Saturday morning from 8.30 to 9.30 in the morning with anyone who wants to talk about what you read that week. There are also our pages for uh, journaling, writing your thoughts, your insights about what you've read uh, that particular day. Now, what about the children? We have another resource for children available. By the way, the Life Journal is available uh, below market price for $5. You can pick this up today if you want to at the information desk for 5 bucks. Also for $5, though, is this nice little daily devotional for children. Now, it's based on the Veggie Tale uh, theme, you know, Veggie Devos Day by Day, but they're very nice uh, daily devotions that families with young kids could use. Whole families could do these little devotions and get benefit from it. Uh, Again, these are available for $5 as well. These are all just tools to encourage all of us to go deeper in taking our intentional time to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Him. You know, Advent is a time to prepare, isn't it? We're preparing for Jesus to arrive. We prepare our hearts for His final arrival on the last day. We're preparing to celebrate once again His first arrival as a baby in Bethlehem. But it's also a time to prepare our hearts and our homes for Jesus to arrive every day. Don't forget to invite Jesus into your home. No, you won't get the 12 disciples with him, okay? It's all right. It's just him. But don't forget to invite Jesus into your home, not only at Christmas, but all year long. May your prayer and mine be, come, Lord Jesus, into my home. Amen.